good to go. Okay. All right. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, just want to say thank you for joining us, um, either on Facebook Live or uh, in person here. Uh, the few that are here, we're excited to to start this fourth edition of our Nehemiah series. Uh, and hopefully, you've you've got your Bibles with you. You can go ahead and turn to Nehemiah chapter two. We're going to start in verse nine. Um, if you haven't heard the messages before this, if you've not gone back and listened to them on Facebook, I strongly recommend you do. Mark and Stephen do a fantastic job of just squeezing all the truth out of the scriptures um, and, and really going in, in some serious um, depth in those scriptures. And so you'll, you'll want to go back in and, and, and listen to those and, and catch up. Um, but today I do want to give just a little bit of a rundown. Uh, for, for those who haven't um, maybe, maybe um, watched the, the past three um, messages. We, we started um, four weeks ago now in the book of Nehemiah. We started, um, Mark gave a, a wonderful background, and then we jumped straight into chapter one. Um, and what we see in chapter one is there's this guy named Nehemiah, and he is a cupbearer to the king. And he's currently in, in this place called Susa, which is a capital in Persia. It's their winter palace. And, and one day, while he's, he's doing his thing, his brother, Hananiah, shows up. And I'm, I'm sure that at first there was some, some you know, cordialness. They were excited to see each other because this is, we find out later on in the book of Nehemiah, his, his real brother. It's not just like brother in the sense that he was a fellow Jew. Um, and after they exchange pleasantries, Nehemiah asks him, he says, So how are things going in Jerusalem? And his response, Hananiah's response, absolutely breaks Nehemiah, the, the response is this. It says, the remnant, this is verse 3, the remnant there in the providence who survived the captivity are in great distress and disgrace. And the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. And so we see that, that once Hananiah delivers this message to Nehemiah, it breaks him. It absolutely breaks him. And then he spends the next three to four months praying. And, and we see this beautiful prayer um, right in the, the following verses, that he prays for, for th- about three to four months, um, where he's seeking direction, he's seeking opportunity. He's seeking what God would have him to do, and, and finally God gives him this opportunity. He gives him the opportunity to go before the king and to present his case, to go and, and, and share exactly what it is that, that he felt God wanting him to do. And, and the crazy thing is, is Nehemiah wanted him to, the, the king to send him back to send him back to Jerusalem and to rebuild the walls. And, and even more, Nehemiah wanted the king to fund it. And so we see this interaction here in chapter 2 where Nehemiah and the king have this dialogue, this back and forth. And the king asks a bunch of questions and Nehemiah has answers and he asks him how long he's going to be gone and they have this agreed upon timeline. And, and once that's discussed, the king sends him off with letters for all the things that he'll need to rebuild the walls. And we see in, in verse 8, uh, one of the key themes in the book of Nehemiah, one of the most beautiful um, verses up to this point, we, we see why all this happened. We see the reason for it all. If you look at um, chapter 2, verse 8, it says this. It says, And the king granted them to me because, and you're going to want to circle that because this is super important, because... The good hand of my God was on me. 
We see all of this happened, the, the divine appointment of Hanani and, and all the, the things that the king gave to Nehemiah, that all happened because of this divine appointment, this, this hand of God. It, the hand of God was on Nehemiah to do the work that he was going to do. And that's a powerful thing to understand, that Nehemiah's whole adventure, the, everything that he was about to step into, everything he was about to walk into was blessed by God and God's hand was on him. And so this, this afternoon, we're going to take the next step. We're going to look at chapter 2, verses 9, and we're going to go all the way to the end of the chapter, verse 20. And we're going to see, so the, last week we looked at how Nehemiah got there, the king and his interaction, but now we're going to actually see Nehemiah walking out. And that's why you, the title for the message uh, this afternoon is The Path. Um, the, the Path, go back to my last slide, Chris. You jumped ahead of me. The Path to Begin the Work. Um, it's the, the path that, that Nehemiah was going to take uh, to actually begin the work. So I'm going to pray, um, and then we're going to jump into the text here. Father, I'm, I'm so thankful for, for tonight. God, for this afternoon, for these people that are watching here with me and the people that are watching um, on Facebook Live. God, I'm, I've been burdened greatly by this message, this, this passage this week. While so much chaos is going on in, in my own life and 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 struggles in my own personal life, God, I, I realize that you've called me to a, a great purpose. You've called all of us to a great purpose. Those that are yours, those that, that would call themselves Christian, have been called by, by your name for a great purpose. God, and I, I've, I've realized this week that, that if I'm ever going to succeed in that purpose, I have to take certain steps to get there. There's a, there's a game plan to actually accomplish what you've, you've had for me and for my family. God, and it's been hard to, to sit back and, and, and really chew on this passage and understand that there's been times that I've just missed it. I've, I've skipped steps or I've done them the wrong way, and, and I've been broken over that this week. God, but I know the, for the people listening to this, God, that their call is the same. They've, they've got the same passion this burden that you've you've put within them and and there's steps that they also need to take to get to the place where you have them father i'm just i'm burdened because i want to see the people of city light accomplish the work that you've you've got for them i want to see them build their wall as nehemiah does to 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 fulfill to set out and and actually accomplish what you've got before them because i know within my soul that that if the people of god will rise up, and they will start to do the work that you've given them, that this world will be different, that the communities that we live in will be different, that Asheville can be different. God, so I pray as we, we walk through this next um, set, set of scriptures over this next little bit, God, that you will burden people, that you will convict people, you would, you would work in people's lives, God, to, to move them to their next steps, to, to un- help them understand what they need to do to accomplish that goal. God, and that we would, we would walk out of here with a clear direction on what to do next. God, so I pray that you would speak, God, and that you would guide my words. In your name I pray. Amen. All right, so we're going to jump into uh, verse 9. And we'll take this kind of section by section because it's a little bit long. Um, but verse 9 says this, Then I came to the governors of the providence beyond the Euphrates River and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent me with officers of the army and horsemen. And when Sambalat the Hornite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about it, it was very displeasing to them that someone had come to seek the welfare of the sons of Israel. And so 
you see right here, first off, that Nehemiah's got his letters, he's excited, he's on his way. But as he's on his way, he has to encounter several groups of people. And in that, he makes some rivals. And that's our, our first big point. What Nehemiah ended up understanding is that when you start to do something for God and his hand is on you, you will create rivals. Unbelievers and people that are, are not for you will come out of, out of, seemingly out of nowhere and they will oppose you because when God's work is being done, Satan's work begins against us. And so that's what Nehemiah uh, starts to realize because as we see, he, he, he's got to make his journey to Jerusalem and he, and he passes through a couple of different cities. He, he would have had to pass through Babylon. He would have had to pass through Damascus and Samaria before he ever got to Jerusalem. And he's, he's, he's being uh, transported with, with an army. Uh, it says that the king sent him with officers of the army and horsemen. So it's not just Nehemiah kind of strolling on his little merry way. He's out there just hitting a donkey or something. He's got an entourage with him as he passes through these cities. And the, and the entourage isn't just any you know, hired armed people. This is officers of the army. So they would have, been, they would have had the seals of the Persian king. That makes a lot of noise. That makes a lot of noise. People are going to, to be attracted to that and try to figure out what's going on. And then he has letters from the king that say exactly what he's doing, the permissions to, to go chop down half a forest and to have all the materials he needs. So everybody knows what Nehemiah is up to as soon as he comes strolling through town. And it catches the eye of these two men, Sambalat the Hornite and Tobiah the Ammonite. Um, and and there's the, these two people are going to come up a lot in the book of Nehemiah, so I want to take just a, a second here to, to talk about them. The, the first is Sambalit. He was a Moabite whose name is a Babylonian name, and it means sin, which was a moon god, uh, gives life. So his name literally meant sin gives life, or the moon god gives life. That was his name, and it's possible um, that in all the turmoil in Jerusalem that he kind of imposed his will on the people of Jerusalem. They, they didn't really have an established city. They didn't have an established uh, government, governments and, and, and all this different stuff. So he, he was somebody that was an opposing force who would, have, who would have preyed on the people of Jerusalem because they didn't have any walls. They didn't have a good infrastructure. Their economy was, was not great. And so he would have preyed on, on those people. And then the next guy here is, is Tobiah. And his name actually means Yahweh is good. Um, which is super interesting. It, it probably denotes that, that Tobiah was, was somebody of mixed descent, somebody that was um, part Judean and part of the Ammonite people. Um, and that probably also meant that part of his heritage and part of his culture and upbringing meant that he combined Jewish thought and Ammonite thought. Um, and he was somebody that kind of muddied the water in, in the holiness and pure, pureness of what uh, the people of Jerusalem were supposed to do. They were supposed to, to worship Yahweh and no other. And this, this guy and probably some of his family that was the same way would have, would have tried to taint that and would have tried to get them to intermingle these, these pagan thoughts with the Jewish thoughts. And you see that this is the case all throughout the, the beginning of, of, of their history. Um, the, the Moabites and the Ammonites were people that were constantly enemies of the, Jerus the, people, the Jewish people in Jerusalem. Um, they were actually two people that were born out of an incestuous relationship in Genesis 19. Um, they were from where Lot's daughters um, seduced him and they had children, and that's where the, the, the Moabites and the Ammonite people came from. 
Um, there's always unrest between these, these two people. And, and you see that in two um, distinct verses here that I'm, I'm going to read. Numbers 25 and Deuteronomy uh, 23. Um, Numbers 25, 1 through 3 talks about how when the people were living at Shittim, the people began to commit adultery with the people of Moab. And the Lord demanded that all of them at once be executed in broad daylight. So back, um, back in Numbers, that these, these Moabite people were starting to intermarry with, with the, the Jewish people, and God said, absolutely not. And had all of them brought into uh, the, the courts and executed in daylight to where everybody could see. So God is already setting a precedence that it's, we, we, we don't intermingle with different things that are going to muddy the water of, of true worship of Yahweh. And then in Deuteronomy 23, and this one really gives a, a full picture of what God has to say about this people group. It says, uh, Deuteronomy 23, um, verse 3 and 4 says, No Ammonite uh, or Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord. None of their descendants, even to the tenth generation, may enter into the assembly of the Lord. Because they did not meet you with food and water on the way when you came out of Egypt. And because they hired against you Balaam the son of Beor and Pethor and Mesopotamia to curse you. And so here God sets a precedent that these two groups of people will have no part in the Jewish traditions, the Jewish, the Jewish faith. They'll have no part in the temple. They can't be a part of the assembly. And so they were supposed to completely distance themselves from these two groups of people. And here they are again in, in, in Nehemiah, once again causing issues for the people in Jerusalem. And so Nehemiah, when he, he rolls into town, automatically creates this rivalry for Jerusalem, makes it worse. And so there's competition always in his heart and what's going on around him. These people are going to attack them for the rest of the story. And so Nehemiah learned very quickly that the, the first thing that you're going to do when you set out to do God's work is to create rivals. And then we see, we see uh, moving on to verse 11, we see that Nehemiah also learns that you cannot do the will of God without rest. Uh, let's read verse 11. It says, So I came to Jerusalem and was there for three days. For three days, Nehemiah knew he could not do the plan of God that God had for him if he didn't take care of himself. And we see this in, in, in this first verse, but we also see it in Ezra. Ezra 8.32, Ezra, when he arrives into Jerusalem, he takes these three days to rest. And we see that these great men of God on their journey to, to rebuild the great city of God take time for themselves because they know that a man who is spent cannot do what God's called him to do because he, he's, he's not well enough in himself. He doesn't have the energy or the drive to do what God's called him to do. He's distracted. He's, he's tired. He's worn out. And, and Nehemiah had great reason to be worn out. You, when you look at the distance, it was probably around 1,000 miles and would have taken a month for him to travel from Susa to Jerusalem. It's a long journey. Um, I, I don't ever want to travel for a, an entire month. You know, me and my wife took a, a four-hour trip yesterday, and I thought it was the worst thing in the world. Like, it, it's being in the car that long, um, not the trip itself. The trip itself was wonderful. Um, but think about that. A, a thousand miles over the course of a month. When he rolled into Jerusalem, he was dirty. He was exhausted. He was hungry. He'd been sleeping in the desert um, and all kind of weird terrain, and he just wanted to take care of himself. And I'm sure that's exactly what he did. I'm sure he found lodging. He, he, he went and had food and water. He spent some time with his families and his brothers. He rested and take care of, took care of himself because he knew that to really accomplish what God had him to do, he had to take time for himself. 
would never be able to do it if he didn't rest. It's an essential part of life. And you see this all throughout Scripture with the Sabbath. You know, we're supposed to worship God on the Sabbath, but, but God also, that, that, that works both ways. You, you, can't, you, you can't continuously worship God if you don't take time to rest for yourself. You're not rested and relaxed, and your mind isn't quiet. So God said, rest because I want you to have a day where you worship me, but I also need you to rest because you will burn out and, and, and fall apart if you don't. So that's a, that's a concept all through Scripture, and you see Nehemiah do it here in verse 11. And then we move on to, to verse 12. I'm going to read verses 12 through 16. It says, And I got up in the night, I and a few men with me. I did not tell anyone what my God was putting into my mind to do for Jerusalem, and there was no animal with me except the animal on which I was riding. So I went out at night by the valley gate in the direction of the dragon spring and on to the dung gate, and I was inspecting the walls of Jerusalem which were broken down and its gate, which had been consumed by fire. Then I passed on to the fountain gate in the king's pool, but there was no place for my mount to pass. So I was going up at night by the ravine and inspecting the wall. Then I entered the valley gate again and returned. However, the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, nor had I told as of yet the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the rest who were doing the work. So you see that the, the next thing that Nehemiah does is he does a little recon. Because Nehemiah knew to accomplish all that God had for him and the people, he had to have all the information. He had to have all the information. And it's interesting that in this section, uh, Nehemiah specifies, he kind of sandwiches these two thoughts here. It says in, in verse 12, And I got up at night, I had a few men with me, and I did not tell anyone what my God was putting in my mind to do for Jerusalem. Then you skip down to 16. However, the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, nor had I yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the rest who were doing the work. So in between this section, you've got sandwiched these two different verses that are talking about how he didn't tell anyone. He was in complete um, ambiguity. He, he just didn't want anybody to know, and there's, I think there's something beautiful to, to really gather from that. He, he didn't want anybody to know because he didn't want to be influenced by other people. He didn't want to have all these questions before he had answers. He wanted to be able to go and inspect and, and have emotion and passion over, over what was happening. You've you got to remember, he's, he's walking around the walls of not just some city. He's walking around the walls of, of, of his heritage, the place that his fathers would have lived, the, the, the place of his forefathers, the place where, it, and it talks about it in the, um, the chapter before this when he's talking to the king, the place where his fathers are buried. And you've got you to put yourself in, in his shoes. He's walking around the city and he's, he's looking at rubble of once was a great wall. He's looking at towns and, and, and this, like this, this, these houses and, and these buildings that would have been places that he would have understood and known about. He's looking at the side of the temple, and he's looking at the, just the wreckage of everything. And so if he'd had a whole bunch of people, if they'd have gone out and recon, he, he couldn't have had the emotion, the passion that he needed. He couldn't just sit in the situation the way that he would have needed to, to really have a full perspective of the, the, the task at hand. He had to do the right kind of recon work, or he would have never been able to, um, he would have never been able to accomplish the work. And so we see he goes out by night. He doesn't ask anybody anything. He doesn't ask any questions. It was only him and a few men because he didn't want to draw attention. He didn't want a bunch of people coming up and asking him questions. Like I said, he didn't want to go by himself because that would be weird. You know, safety. He breaks a leg on some rubble. You know, let's, let's, be, let's be wise here. Um, 
and he had no he had had no plans to tell anybody wants what he wants to do um so he 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 goes throughout this process and and he is inspecting it and i think it's extremely important that we understand that nehemiah went to every inch of the city and and i've got a, a picture um here that is is a, a best case best guess and um uh, of what the city would have looked like. Um, and so Nehemiah starts, he starts right here at the valley gate and works his way all the way around until he gets back to the valley gate again. Nehemiah didn't just look at it, didn't just look at it at each little small section of the wall and say, yeah, well, that needs to be rebuilt, and then just walk away. <laughs> Nehemiah, Nehemiah really took the time to inspect every single inch of the wall and as a as a home inspector i i kind of i get why because I, I spend my life writing out reports of what's wrong with people's houses and if i don't go into every nook and cranny if i don't go into every little spot if i don't dig around in people's attics which nobody wants to do or go into their crawl spaces which people definitely don't want to do then i can't find the problems i can't give them an accurate report of what's going on in the city or in their house I can't tell them about all the, the, the places that you wouldn't know were about to fall in. I, you know, there's people that will remodel their entire bathrooms only to put all that remodeled stuff on rotted wood. And, you, you know, five years later, you're sitting on the toilet and you fall through. That's not good for anybody. And a good home inspection will show you that. And so that's exactly what Nehemiah is doing. He wants to know the absolute full picture of what's going on in Jerusalem. So he inspects every inch and it was it was a hard pass he 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 at one point um talks about how he can't he can't get through his animal couldn't get through because there was no place for it to pass so he goes out on foot that's that's verse 12 the end of verse 12 and there was there's no animal with me except the one which one i was riding so i went on uh went out by night by the valley gate in the direction of the dragon springs and onto the dung gate and i was inspecting the walls of jerusalem which were broken down and its gates which had been consumed by fire. Then I passed on the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was no place for my mount to pass. This is verse 14, I'm sorry. Um, that shows you the level of, of, of wreckage that he was having to go through. He couldn't get through, and so he gets out on foot, and he walks the rest of the way, and he inspects the, the, the entirety of the wall. And, and I, as, as I was reading how he inspected this, I, I came across, across a quote from, from T.J. Betts, it says that Nehemiah had wisdom that knew the right thing, did the right thing, and did it at the right time, the right way, and to the right extent. That's the level of, of meticulousness he went through to inspect these walls. And it also reminded me of, of Proverbs 24, 27. In this verse, it, talks, it says, Prepare your work outside and make it ready for yourself in the field. Afterwards, then, build your house. This proverb saying, make your plans and have things ready and laid out before you build your house. Um, us modern people don't do that, which is why we take five trips to Lowe's for you know, a project that's supposed to take five minutes. Um, we go back and forth over and over and over again, and a five-minute project ends up taking the entire weekend. Because we don't live on that same principle, the same principle that Nehemiah obviously shows here. He, he made his plans first. He had an intimate knowledge of the whole working of the wall, and then he presents his plan. The next little section here, verses 17 and 18, this is where Nehemiah understands that he's got to rally the troops. Nehemiah had to rally the troops and to get everyone to be in one accord, 
to accomplish this work. We see that word one accord pop up all the time in Acts chapter 2. That's how things got done through the work of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. When people were in one accord, they were unified. That's when God moved. And, and that's exactly what Nehemiah is trying to accomplish here. He had to get them all in one accord. So verse 17, it says, Then I said to them, talking to the people, You see the bad situation we are in, that Jerusalem is desolate, and its gates have been burned by fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that, I, that it will no longer be a disgrace. And I told them how the hand of my God had been favorable to me. And also about the king's words, which he had spoken to me. Then they said, Let, let's arise and build. So they put their hands to the good work. You see, Nehemiah rallies the troops. And he does it in two different ways, and I think this is just fascinating. He clearly addresses the problem. And you think, and I thought this as I was studying, why did he have to state how bad the situation was? You know, it's just like a, a stab in the heart. It's like, man, why don't you kick us while we're down? But it dawned on me as I was studying it, that a lot of times humans have this tendency to make home in a place that's not actually home. We'll, we'll start to get adjusted to where, oh, it's not that bad. Oh, I pass that every day. I, I don't really actually, this is not really a problem. And, and you make adjustments in your heart and you make adjustments in your soul to go, that's really not that bad. And after a while, it's, this, it's like phenomenon that happens that you, you almost stop seeing it. You almost stop seeing the wreckage and the rubble. And it's almost like Nehemiah took all of their faces and like held it and said, look at what's truly going on here. Look at the wreckage. Look at the rubble. Look at the situation that you've got going on. Because earlier in, in their history, you know, they tried to build the wall. And the, the, the enemies had come in and burned it down and wrecked it again. And so they're, they're completely demoralized. They've stopped trying because they, well, the enemies are just going to come burn it down again. So they're giving up. So Nehemiah makes them look at their situation, forces them to actually grasp what's going on, and then he hits them with the hope. After he, he gets them to focus in on, on what's going on, he, he hits them with his hope in verse 18. It says, And I told them how the hand of my God had been favorable to me, and also about the king's words which he had spoken to me. He said, Here's how bad this situation is, but let me tell you about something. Let me tell you about how I spent three to four months praying and how I, I begged God. It says in verse, uh, chapter 1, verse, um, verse 11, at the end of it, it says, Please make your servant successful today and grant him mercy before this man. And then we see that God answers that prayer. And then he, he answers the prayer to go and talk to the king, and then the king gives him everything he could have wanted. And then he makes it safely to Jerusalem. So when Nehemiah starts to give them this task, he's look at everything. Look at all the bad that's happened around you. Look at all the bad stuff that's, that's in the walls. See, see how they're, they're broken down. Look at the gates being completely burned. He said, that's the issue, but let me tell you about how God's already working this out. God gave me an opportunity to speak to the king. You don't just go speak to the king. The king will kill you for speaking out of turn. But it didn't happen. Just like in Esther, where God made a way for Esther to speak to the king, he did the same thing to Nehemiah. And then he said, not only did I get to talk to the king, but the king's going to pay for this. He's going to pay for the whole thing. And so now their spirits are up. They're like, oh man, if the king's behind us, maybe the enemies aren't going to do as much. Maybe, I mean, the king, I mean, he's, he's the king of Persia. That's a bad dude. We've got backup now. Okay, and then he says, and I've got a plan. And you see it in their response. He obviously rallied them because their response was this. Let's arise and build. And like, like 
that's, that's what the Bible says, but I can picture it like, like dude, let's, let's go do this thing. You mean to tell me with this whole thing's funded? You mean to tell me there's a, a trail of answered prayers here? Heck yeah! Where's my hammer? Honey, go, go, go figure out where the shed's at, get the tools, I'm going building. They're jacked up at this point. They're, they're excited. And it says, so they put their hands to the good work. Because Nehemiah made them focus on the situation, and then he hit them with the hope that God was already working in it. And then everything starts to move. And then we move to verse 19. Verse 19 through 20, and this is my last point. It says, But when Sambalat the Hornite and Tobiah the Ammonite official and Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked us and despised us and said, What is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Verse 20, So I answered them and said to them, The God of heaven will make us successful. Therefore, we his servants will arise and build, but you have no part, right, or memorial in Jerusalem. Last thing that Nehemiah realizes he's got to have is resolve. Nehemiah had to have the resolve to know that no matter what came against him, it was God who would make them successful. It was God that was going to make them successful. God had called him on this mission. See, these men hated Jerusalem, and, and they even go get like an extra friend. You know, he's, he's not mentioned in the first part, but now it's and Geshem the Arab. So now they've rallied an extra rival, and they said, what are you doing? You, are you mocking? Or, are they, sorry, mocking. Are, they, are you rebelling against the king? And all Nehemiah had to do was go, hey man, I've got the paperwork to prove that this is actually approved and funded by the king. But Nehemiah doesn't do that. And I found that so fascinating. He doesn't do that. Nehemiah doesn't appeal to the king. He doesn't go get his bodyguards and say, look, see, they've all got seals. We've got the approval, so you can back off. Nehemiah doesn't do that because that's not how Nehemiah is concerned. We see this all the way back from the beginning of this book. Nehemiah knew that it was God who had his back. Nehemiah knew that it was God that was going to do the work. Nehemiah knew that it was God's mission to build God's city and to restore God's people. And so that's his answer. He says, then the God of heaven will make us successful. He didn't even answer the question. He said, are you rebe-? the, the guy's answer, are you rebelling against the king? He, he almost pulls a Jesus where Jesus doesn't answer questions. He just goes straight to the heart of the issue. He says, no, 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 no. Which, you're not even thinking in the right direction, man. My God is going to be the one that makes me successful. Nehemiah knew that it was not for the approval of man, and it was not going to be by the power of man that this task was completed. He knew that it was God's hand that was going to do the work and accomplish the work in his people and that all the glory would go to God forever and ever. And so in conclusion, as I wrap this thing up, I remind you that we're not Nehemiah, but we do have a mission just like Nehemiah's. The world is broken Lives have been burned down. The world is aching for hope. And it's on us to go and take that hope and to bring that hope to a dead and dying world. And the crazy thing is, is because our God is such an artist and he's created us all uniquely that all of our missions are different. But they all go to the same point. That God is going to use you to restore his people 
for his glory forever. And so we have to, to walk back through Nehemiah's points here. It's, it's because the, the points are the same for us. You have to ask yourself this question, and, and you'll have these on the screen here. Are you going to be comfortable and be okay with the fact that you're going to make rivals in your life when you set out on, on the path to do God's work? Because every time you set out on something, every time God's hand is with you, like I said earlier about Nehemiah, you're going to get enemies. You're going to have people that come against you. People are going to say, that idea is the dumbest thing in the world. Who are you, who are you to think that you can accomplish that? You don't have a degree. I know you. I know your past. I know your junk. I know what, the, what you've been through. I know what you said three or four years ago, especially in this cancel culture that we live in. People are going to rise up out of nowhere and they're going to say, you are not good enough to do that work. What are you thinking? And we have to be, and and, and the crazy thing is that's step one. Like opposition will face you right at the beginning because if Satan knows if he can get you before you start, then that is the most vulnerable time because that's the time that's most chaotic. So are you willing to make rivals? In a good way, not like a bad way, just going out there and being a jerk, but like for the good of God. The next thing, are you willing to rest? Are you willing to rest and take care of yourself? Because what I've found and what I've seen over years in ministry is that some of the greatest people I know have ventured out to do God's work and they've been willing to do whatever it takes, but whatever it takes actually ended up costing them their families. And their drive to do the mission that God's called them to do has has cost them time with their children. And it's cost them, cost them other areas of their life. It's cost them their mental health. Because they've gone too fast, and they've gone too far, and they've bit off more than they can chew. They, didn't, they weren't patient. And they didn't have the willpower to wait for God's timing. And people make dumb choices and dumb mistakes that they regret for the rest of their life when if they would have just waited, taken the steps in God's time, then they'd be in a completely different situation. So are you willing to rest? Are you willing to do the recon? Are you willing to, to go out and really research what you're doing? Because the worst thing that you can do is go get all gung-ho for something, get 20 feet in and realize, I don't even know what I'm doing anymore. I had this passion. I was super excited. I was super jacked up. And now I'm burnt out. I don't know what I'm doing. And, and all the people who said they were with me are gone. And, and you didn't do the groundwork. You didn't lay the right foundation to build on, and your foundation absolutely crumbled. So you're willing to do the recon. Are you willing to go and do the research? Really find out what it is. Educate yourself and not get too far ahead of yourself. Not make plans and share them with everybody only to, to get either A, talked out of them, or change them and end up having so many questions asked that you get discouraged because you don't have the answers, then you quit. So you're ready to do the work. And then next, are you ready to rally the people around you? Because God's purposes and mission are never meant to be done alone. Because this life will break you. It will. And you've got to have a brotherhood. You've got to have a sisterhood. You've got to have a family of believers that believe in the mission, are in one accord with the mission, who are, who are just as passionate about it as you are, together in one accord, working out issues, fighting and striving together. Are you willing to try to go and get those people? 
You're not meant to do this alone. Nehemiah could not have built the wall by himself. He actually does it in a really cool way that uses everybody. But are you willing to, to rally people together? And then lastly, are you, are you passionate enough and are you dead set that it was God's will enough that you have the resolve to make it through anything? Because when you set out on this adventure to do the will of God, there's going to be bumps in the road. There's going to be things that don't work. There are going to be friendships that are hurt. There's going to be relationships that are hurt. There's going to be time lost. There's going to be all this hardship. And if you don't have the resolve, the exact resolve that Nehemiah had, that it is God who is going to make this adventure successful. If you don't, you don't truly believe that, if that's not at the core of everything that you are, then you will fail. Because Satan is good at what he does, and he will come at you with everything that he can to stop you from making an impact for the kingdom of God. So as I close, put a bow on this thing. Do you know what your call is? And if you are, are you willing to take these steps to follow through with it? Church, brothers and sisters that I love, you are called. It is not just the minister's job is to be called. You are called with a very specific purpose. You can do it. You are not too dirty. You are not too uneducated. You are not too anything. If God has called you, then God is the one that will make you successful no matter what people say. But it does take the right steps. If City Light Asheville is going to be successful, we have to take the right steps and know that in 20 years when we look back that it was not a man or a woman that made us successful, that it was God who made us successful. But we've got to have the resolve to keep on. Father, I love you. God, this passage has been good to me this week. It has beat me up. It has broke me down. It has made me aware of, of sin issues in my life that, that I have to repent of and, and, and go and fix. God, but I pray for the people in this room, God, that you would make them aware that they have gifts and they've got talents that you want to use, desperately want to use, because you gave them to them. God, and I pray that they would take the right steps to accomplish the work. God, because I would love more than anything to see these brothers and sisters accomplishing what God, or what you've given them, God. And to watch the joy in their faces as they start to see the fruits of their labor. God, I want that more than anything, and I want that for City Light. I pray that for all of our City Light churches in Seattle and Malaysia and the different partnering churches God, I, I, I pray that their people would be successful. God, by your hand, God, that they would take the right steps to accomplish that work. Father, we love you. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.